This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hi, everyone. How are we? How are we today? Good, 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 good. How are you, Emily? I'm doing very well. Uh, First things first. I want to know what beverage you are consuming today on this fine, windy Sunday that we are recording. Uh, I'm back to my huge, the tangerine La Croix. It's delicious. I'm on a, it's Starbucks veranda blend, like a K-cup. I'm just, I'm here for the oh, K-cup coffee today. Very nice. I used to fashion myself as a coffee snob and then I just stopped caring. So, so now you're just a snob. So now here we are. Now I'm just... A, coffee something coffee enthusiast <laughs> there you go is that that's, fair? that's better that's is that fair. offensive is that offensive to you josh that no I, uh... no that's perfect that's that's okay. great you're a coffee enthusiast coffee like enthusiast that. though not a snob man though i have dreams of those storyville k-cups you sent me a few months ago good Aww. gravy those are so good <laughs> <laughs> i do what i can thanks so a lot kind. for that one i'm consuming two beverages i'm oh. consuming a giant glass of ginger ale and I made a homemade strawberry banana smoothie. Mm, that sounds delicious. I love the whole two drink thing. Not enough people do that. It is. It's wonderful. It's essential. I had three drinks at breakfast today. So. <laughs> what? The breakfast I had, that tracks. I had a glass of water. I had a cup of hot tea and I had a glass of apple juice. None of I those like were the ones I was expecting, but I'm into it. Because I've seen people, like, they'll they'll fix a breakfast and it's like a cup of milk, a cup of orange juice, you know? So. Well, to be fair, juice, before preaching, I did have a glass of orange juice. So I guess I had four beverages this morning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's impressive. There you go. Thank you. Well done. Thank you. Well, so, hey, this actually ties in nicely to our topic today. As you know, I'm a pastor. Uh, and I, I had to preach today. Shocking. And I totally forgot that today was the first Sunday of the month. And my organist was so kind to remind me, hey, by the way, we're doing communion today. So I have all the elements ready to go. And I thought it would be wonderful if we could talk about sacraments today because mm. one, there are so many opinions about sacraments and even different denominations have different stances on sacraments. What is a sacrament? What's not a sacrament? But also, I don't remember which episode it was in, but I had made the comment that I don't charge for sacraments. And Stephen oh, yeah, was yeah. Stephen was uh, laughing. And I don't know if it was a... It was a laugh out of, like, you know when you hear something so absurdly true and you're like... <laughs> Why have I never thought of that before? That's why I was laughing. It was like, oh, duh. I thought it would be great for us to talk about sacraments. So first, I want to see from both of you, what what do you consider to be sacraments and why? Because that's a very important question. Steven, you go first. I I really want to hear what you think because... uh... Especially because Stephen has had the most, I think, change in regards yeah. to spirituality and faith development. And so I am very curious to know what he considers to be sacraments and why. So Stephen. Or even how you would define like, yeah. something being sacramental. I'm interested I to hear what agree. you have. So spotlight's on you, good sir. <laughs> Quite the pivot there. Okay. Are you guys referring to the fact that I'm kind of on like a Catholic theology kick? Is that what yes, you're- Yes, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for Well, this. and the fact that like only a month, of what, a month or two before that, you were super huge on the post-Christian thing. And then then you started talking about how you're reading these like Catholic books. And I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Right. I don't, I don't know if I'm post-post-Christian yet, but- <laughs> Fair, um, fair, fair. That was fun to say. 
that was a gift for my. <laughs> okay. I tell. So do you so, feel like your gravitation now towards like Catholic concepts has been partly because of like sacraments and stuff? It's honestly more so when the quote unquote deconstruction process started for me, where it kind of started was I gave myself permission to rob Bell, even though I was raised to think he was like antichrist, like lower a antichrist. Right. He wasn't the, sure. but, but he was like, you know, I was taught that he was preaching things that were contrary to the gospel. And right. so when I started listening to him and I was like, this is what we were all afraid of. Like, this is, this is what we had a problem with. And honestly, mm. right now, my studying Catholic theology a lot is kind of in that same vein where it's like, sure. I, was, okay. I was taught that Catholics are not Christians. And I was also right. taught that Catholics like have given up the true gospel for like a works based theology. I started reading actual Catholic theologians and not just evangelical theologians commenting on Catholic thought. Mm-hmm. Totally. And once again, I'm in this place where I'm like, this is, this is what we were afraid of though. Like really? I think one of the main things was the, I don't know, I, I feel like a thing that Catholics very regularly have to defend against some rather loudmouth evangelical people is their veneration of Mary as like divine mm. mother. And so sure. like I read a book about it and I was like, hey, I actually kind of get it. I don't know if I'm here yet, but I kind of get where they're coming from. And I definitely wish that I wasn't just taught like the... I don't know, like the straw man version of Catholic theology mm -hmm. um, in order to give me the good, like apologetical moves to just like take them down on the street corner, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at. But sacraments is a very interesting conversation for me to pivot back there. I have a deep and abiding love for Eucharist now. And I've always understood as a, again, raised kind of Baptist, kind of evangelical, that baptism and Eucharist are the only two sacraments that Jesus directly participated and confirmed into the new covenant and that he let the rest of them or the, the rest of like the Jewish rites and rituals kind of like left them behind. But I'm curious to know, Emily, I'm going to throw it back to you real quick. Cause I want to know what you know about like the actual definition of the word sacrament and like where it derives from some of the original languages. Yes. Okay. So sacrament is derived indirectly um, from ecclesiastical Latin, which is different than other forms of Latin, which comes from huh. sacro or sacer. And it also is derived from the Greek word mysterion. And what it is, it's like the mystery of the sacred mm, okay. is what it okay. is kind of what it comes down to. Um, so if we look, if we were to kind of place those words then into like a defined definition, it would be the mystery of the sacred that is visible, like something we are trying mm. to make sense of visibly. Wow. Ooh. Ooh, I love that. That's, Does that that's, make sense? That's exactly why I love Eucharist. Yes. Thank you for mm. this. Yeah. Because it's, it's something that can be seen and it's something that can be interpreted, but it's still mysterious because there is something deeper taking place that is beyond human capabilities, essentially, because it is divine. Okay. It is from God. It is sacred. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So from what I know now, from the books I've been reading, there are seven sacraments of the Catholic church. And I don't know if all seven have carried over into your Methodist church, Emily, but what I got here is Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, reconciliation, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and marriage. Ooh. Uh, how does that track for you? Are you familiar with all seven of those? I am familiar, but not all seven are a part of the Methodist Church. Oh, oh okay. Say more now, please. Well, no, I want you to keep going. Like, <laughs> we'll get to me in a second. Okay, okay. So, Stephen, well, does that track for you so far? Like, I know that you're just kind of reading about Catholic theology. Um, and I was kind of raised similarly in that really baptism and communion were the only ones talked about in terms of, I guess we didn't really even use the word sacrament too much. But like, at some point I was taught that those were like the only sacraments and like Catholics have some extras that they consider to be sacraments. Right. But these are the only ones mm -hmm. Jesus did. But also, my churches growing up that I was exposed to were still pretty heavily 
um, into like the anointing and the praying for the sick, even though I don't think I ever heard anyone talk about them as sacraments. So that's interesting to me that like Catholics would consider those sacraments, but like maybe like charismatic Pentecostal Baptist people don't, even if they practice them more than Catholics. Sure. Oh, that's kind of interesting to me. It's an interesting way to say that. Yeah. Um, was there a question there? Well, I guess I'm curious yeah. why, like, how are you now considering these additional things that Catholics consider sacraments, mm-hmm. but you were not taught were sacraments? Oh. Like, how are you framing them still in your mind? Well, so I, I can see how they fit in with the system. So, like, baptism being first because they baptize infants, right? And then confirmation is kind of when... It's like the evangelical equivalent of making your own personal decision to follow Christ, as far as I understand it. And then once you do that in a public way at mass, then you can partake in your first communion. And I remember I remember mm. growing up, like my mom's family is Catholic, and I remember being very jealous of some of my cousins as we were all hitting like first communion age, because typically I think that's like 10 or 11. So I remember kind of being jealous of my cousins because they kept they would do a first communion at mass and then there would be a big party back at their house. And then like our aunts and uncles would give them a ton of money. And I was very jealous of that. But mm. for me at that age, like I had no idea what the significance was of them actually celebrating their first Eucharist inside the Catholic church, because you have to be a confirmed Catholic in order for the priest to give you Eucharist mm. at mass. And then as far as I understand reconciliation, I think that's, also known as the the confession or like sitting in the confessional booth, you know, Father, forgive me for I have sinned and going through like an actual verbal time of confession with someone, if I understand that correctly. Um, anointing the sick, I know the least about because in none of my previous church contexts was it ever practiced. Mm. Um, and holy orders, same, that's, that's kind of the like the orders of the uh, the patron saints and whatnot. So you have the like Franciscan mm. order and mm-hmm. all those. And then marriage being the last one. And I've always heard marriage talked about as a sacred holy thing, but I've never heard it tied to an actual like sacramental system before. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like for me, there is even some, I guess, disparity between like holding baptism and communion in such high regard, almost in like a magical, mystical kind of way, even though I've never heard Christians talk about it like that. But it just, to me, it seems so similar to like, like mystical, magical ways, like almost that you would like read about in a fantasy book, really appealing to like deep mystery and like this pointing us back to God. But at the same time, I, I don't think I ever myself really, really felt like those things were like deeply mysterious to me. Like they were, I think I always felt like they were just symbolic and like, I love a good communion. I think it's cool. I like watching a cool baptism. That's cool. But like, I never really (laughs) felt like it was like deeply like magical, like that anything was being accomplished or that like I was like, I didn't grow up Catholic. So I wasn't brought up to believe in transubstantiation about communion I feel like you're um, missing out on a lot there, Josh. <laughs> I mean, maybe I am. I like, but I guess I guess I can see the value in like holding things in high regard, like on mm-hmm. a ritual level. And I think that's I think like to me they're they feel more important because of like the ritualness more so than like what they actually are. Physically. Well, and really with the two that come to mind, baptism and Eucharist or communion, however you want to call it. Those are two that I personally believe to be the most symbolic Mm. as far as Mm. marks of one's Christian journey, because not everyone wants to get married and right. And not everyone wants, you know, I've had people when I served as a chaplain, they didn't want to have the anointing of the sick. Not everyone Mm. wants to even have a funeral for that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like baptism and communion, yes, you have a choice to participate in those things, but the symbolism behind those are so powerful that you almost want to just, just to participate and to see what it is that these things are about. Um, Cause let's be real. You don't mm. get to experience your own funeral. 
Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to really, I don't really know if you can say you get to experience an anointing of the sick because oftentimes mm. you receive that when you're pretty much on your deathbed. It's not really something that you get to participate in. And I think that's where holy matrimony can be a little, it could be, but not really because you're participating, but also in a way, I, that one's just really it's hard to It's also kind of an extra pressure too, because like Jesus yeah. and Paul never got married. Paul talks about like the, the gift of singleness. And the, even though I think right. that that's like misused in other ways, I think that you're completely right. And like, that's what prevents me, I think, from wanting to say that sex is a sacrament. Like there's a part of me that feels like sex is somehow sacramental. Mm-hmm. Like that, like the, in in other ways too, like I think that there's other things that can be sacramental, like like hiking, at least this is the way I'm thinking about it. That like maybe there's things that like point us to God and like the deep mystery of God and how God encounters humanity, even though that in itself might not be a universal ritual or a universal experience. Sure. Because like I, I'm kind of on the same page with you. I think that like not everyone A wants to have sex or B will have sex or C will have sex in that like deep, mysterious Mm-hmm. almost spiritual way that they feel like points them back to God. But like, I kind of don't know like what to call it. Then, Like, I feel like the things that make me want to say the act of sex is sacramental are the same things that like made people say matrimony was sacramental. Sure. You know what I mean? So like, I, I guess I don't really know how to like make a distinguishing between like, these are the things that for me point me to God, but like, there's this like other set of things that like come from church tradition that are a little bit more universal in Christian life or something like that. And I guess what it really, from my understanding in seminary and just experience as a pastor so far, these sacraments, these things that we participate in, they're channels for God's grace. And Mm -hmm. while we can see God's grace everywhere, I think there are, certain elements, certain rituals or forms of participation that for us can be visible symbols and reminders of God's grace. Whereas Hmm. these other things that we consider to be like sacramental, where we can participate in the mystery of God, I don't think they're necessarily channels through which we are reminded of God's grace, if that makes sense. Hmm. Because like baptism is is the starting point of your journey saying that you are wanting to, to take the steps as a Christian and wanting to go down this journey and be in fellowship with others. And communion is participating in this meal, reminding us of the sacrifice that Jesus made ultimately God's grace abundant for all while dying on the cross. And those are, those are things that I think of, whereas other sacraments or other things we consider to be sacramental may hold a different meaning, but they could still be considered sacramental, but they aren't necessarily the same as sacraments. Do you feel like something like the quote unquote, like prequirement or prerequisite for something to be considered a sacrament is that it like, like there's a social aspect to it as well. Like, I feel like that could be the argument for matrimony or sex not being considered a sacrament is because it's not like socially binding in the way that other rituals are like, It's been a while since I've read any, but like the sociologist uh, Emil Durkheim wrote a lot about the way ritual and religion like form us together uh, in social ways and like produce other things as a byproduct. And I can't remember exactly what he talks about with ritual, but like, like I'm kind of remembering what he like talks about along the lines of ritual in that like ritual, even if it's symbolic, is the thing that like ties us together socially. Sure. And so I'm wondering if like maybe that's like kind of the cornerstone that like sacraments have to be on. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's definitely a possibility. That seems to be the way they're built at least like, um, especially taking it through the lens of these, these Catholic sacraments, like confirmation Mm -hmm. being a celebration of the entire congregation, like celebrating someone like entering the fold and then witnessing Mm -hmm. them, uh, imbibe the Eucharistic elements which again, according to like transubstantiation is like the literal body and blood of mm-hmm. Christ. So it's like, you're becoming mm-hmm. one of us through this, right? 
I like this. I like the language for channels of God's grace, though, because that doesn't necessarily preclude marriage from being a sacrament. It just means you just won't like if if you're not a person who desires to be married or won't get married, like it doesn't preclude you from God's grace. It's just you won't be plugged into that, like that outlet, you know? Mm -hmm. However, Mm -hmm. like baptism and Eucharist being available for all. Well, so here's what I wanted to talk about with sacraments. You guys was I'm ready. I'm so ready. Open table theology when it comes to celebrating Eucharist or celebrating communion. Uh, I mean, even in the context I've laid out here, like you can't, participate in Eucharist during a mass if you're not a confirmed Catholic before. Like there's a prerequisite for it. And I remember Mm -hmm. almost something similar from my evangelical context, but it was more like uh, if you you take these elements in an unworthy manner or with unforgiveness in your heart, then you're like eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. So the warning kind of- I even heard people say like, try to conclude that God might kill you for that. Because of that Whoa. one verse in First uh, uh, Corinthians, I, don't I think 11. it's in Acts, or is it First Corinthians eleven? It is about like some open. people taking it. Okay, yeah. you're right. Yeah, so it's still it still That's became sad. something. It was like you have to be part of us. You you have to be like a Christian. You've you you have to have made the deciding moment um, to become a Christ follower in order to celebrate this. But I am increasingly compelled by theologies that say even if you don't feel like you belong here even if you don't believe like you're still invited to this table because that's how radically equalizing the table is and that's that's mm-hmm. what Jesus was trying to get into our skulls you know was like hey this meal is for everyone like we're going to nourish everyone here and also we're going to invite them into like a very sacred space of community mhm well at least in the methodist church we definitely practice open table for Eucharist. Mm-hmm. And it's be, it's this idea that Jesus is inviting us to participate and there's no there's no agenda, there's no prerequisites. It's for everyone. Like this is an unconditional love and a grace for everyone. And so if we were to understand Eucharist coming from the Greek word for Thanksgiving, it's mm-hmm. everyone should have the chance to be in thanksgiving to God for the gifts of creation and salvation. And so that's why we say like all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and want peace with one another, like you are, you are all welcome. You don't, it doesn't matter your skin color, your, Hmm. your sexuality, your beliefs, you know, you, anyone and all are welcomed because it can be an invitation to start a journey. What do you think, you would say to someone, okay, so like I haven't ever experienced a church that practices open table communion. I don't think. I think the closest I've ever gotten to that is like a church saying, even if you weren't confirmed in our denomination, uh, even if you like are part of another denomination, like as long as you're a Christian, like you're more than welcome, something mm-hmm. like that. Or I guess I've also heard people say like, even if you feel open to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who might say that the open table thing is more of like a a symbolic posturing thing more than it actually is you actually inviting non-Jesus followers to participate. Because like mm. I can kind of hear that critique in the back of my head in some ways because A, not too many non-Jesus people go to church. Like occasionally some people get introduced to Jesus through church or I guess you have kids who are like being brought up in church who maybe like haven't been confirmed or like made the personal decision or whatever. But like, I do think it is pretty rare that there's like just open seekers, I guess, for lack of a better word. Mm. And then beyond that, what's the percentage of people who aren't Christian, who are like attending church, who are invited to take communion, who actually do? Do you know what I mean? So like I can hear someone saying that like the whole open table thing is like, just a posturing thing. It's not actually like, it's pretty rare that you're inviting non-Christians to take it, I guess is kind of what I'm thinking. Well, and to, I guess one, I don't know if it's a, a thought or I don't know what I want to call it, but 
I can assure you that there are members of my church who take communion who don't fully live into their identity as Christians themselves. Sure. And so really, I think just by saying it is open to all, yes, Mm. we are hoping non-Christians can participate and start a journey. But again, I'm not responsible for... (laughs) We've already covered this in an episode, Hmm. but it can be an open invitation for those who want to recommit to their faith. It can be, you know, I think about my Hmm. campers who have really questioned their faith when they participate in communion at church camp. They feel Hmm. something new. They feel something that they've never actually Hmm. experienced before, even though they have done communion many a times in church. And that's where I think, again, looking at it as a channel of God's grace is it's a constant reminder that it is available for all, including those who have already committed themselves to Christ. Cause mm. that's, that's not a one-time thing. It's a constant reminder. You have to constantly commit yourself. And while we hope there are non-Christians who would participate and fully then dive into this amazing journey, we just really don't know. And I think It could definitely be seen as this sort of posture. And I would agree that maybe at times it is for sure, especially Mm -hmm. in the Methodist church where we're even struggling with having ordained people who are in the LGBTQ community, but we're allowing Mm -hmm. anyone to then participate in communion. I, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's, you're trying to bring in more than, than what you really care to actually welcome. Sure. Sure. But Again, I guess it's just one of those things where you you take it in strides and you just see where it goes. But knowing that you're not really the one inviting them, it's God inviting them. Hmm. I think that's so key. That's so key that like it's the Lord that invites you to the table. It's not mm-hmm. Pastor Emily. Yeah. Man, because there there's something truly beautiful, you know, COVID restrictions aside, the act of like approaching the same table um, up at the front and we're each like tearing a piece off the same loaf and dipping it in the same cup. It's like, there's something like so powerfully visual and symbolic about an entire church body going and Mm, partaking mm -hmm. of one loaf of one cup and imbibing that into themselves saying like, this is the kind of identity that we want. We like, we want to be a sharing people. And I think that that's, that's a way of kind of getting out of the, I mean, make, like maybe posturing is on someone's heart just to say like, oh, look at us. Like we're inclusionary of everyone. But I, I think that would be the cynical take. I think the sure the, the true beauty of celebrating an open table and allowing it open for everyone is saying like, you don't you don't have to like believe all the right things to belong here. Like you're you're still invited to be part of the uh, part of the party. <laughs> for lack of a better term, like you, we, we welcome you here as does the Lord. And we take the cues, we take our cues from Christ who freely offers grace to everyone. And we symbolize this by taking this bread and taking this cup as a symbol of that grace being offered to everyone. Otherwise it feels, otherwise it, I don't know. There's just something that bothers me about the, the teaching I grew up with where it was like, you have to be a Christian first. And maybe, mm. maybe Josh, because you were raised more like well, that. See, but I also kind of get that because like, uh, I think it probably depends on the church you're at, but you often hear the phrase quoted, like, do this in remembrance of me, like where Jesus is at the last supper. And I, I do mm-hmm. think there's something to that too. Like I can, there's a part of me that really understands the stance that like, it doesn't make sense for someone to participate in a sacrament, like communion, if you're not remembering Jesus. Because like, that's what it is, is mm-hmm. you're remembering Jesus and you're like accepting. I, I really liked how you put it, Emily, like you're using it to accept God's grace and remember that. And so on some level, if you're not doing that, then like you're not participating in communion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can kind of understand that critique, but I also really like the idea of open table, I think. Like, I think that you really highlighted that well, Emily. I'm going to have to think about that some more. I well, think. and maybe something else to think about too is... I I agree, Josh, like the the liturgy right there, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, do this in remembrance of me. How can you, how can you remember something if you're not even invited to participate in the first place? Mm, Like if you never, if you never have the chance to ask questions or to participate and have an understanding for yourself, 
then yeah, when you are participating, you feel like you're just aimlessly in the activity. Ooh. Um, Ooh. But right. I think that's the same for Christians in general who just do it mundanely every first Sunday or every Sunday. But I think even with, I actually really like the mundaneness of it. I agree. To me, like totally. I don't feel like it's magical or mystical. I don't think I believe that anything is happening to the the bread and the juice no. that makes it defi- oh. like I. There's like I I almost read nothing into it. But like to me, the mundaneness is the powerful point. Like I think I really agree with like the sociologists who say that like ritual ties like social bodies together into a social body because like it's so powerful to me that like Christians all over the world do the same thing on a but Sunday, maybe even if they by, don't do it every week. <laughs> maybe by mundane, I mean where you're not, you don't have to see it as something magical or mystical, but if you do it simply out of routine because you just, you're forced to, or it's just, Oh, we're in church. We have to do this. And you're not actually seeing the symbolism of it. You know what I mean? Like I remember when I was in seminary, we had chapel every Wednesday and sometimes I would go up and take communion and I just, you know, I ate the, I took the bread, I dipped it, I ate it, sat down, whatever. And sometimes I almost felt like I was then leaving chapel the same as I came in. And I don't ever Mm. want to feel that. And so Mm. I think something as simple as communion where yes, there is a ritual. It is, it is a, a scheduled sort of activity that we participate in and it's ritual and everyone is doing it. I don't see that as being mundane because there is actually something going on and it Mm. may not Mm. be something so obvious and it may not come across as this huge mystical experience, but there are days where I take communion and I leave church and I feel a little better. I feel a little different than when I did entering the church. Mm. And Mm. I know it's because I did something I participated in something so simple and that is a beauty of God's grace is that it's so simple. And that to me is a beautiful reminder. And maybe that's where the magic or the mystical experience comes from is it doesn't always have to be these moments of grandeur. It can be something so simple as taking Mm -hmm. bread and grape juice or wine or whatever and seeing God embodied in this moment that you are participating in that this is now entering your body and it was something you didn't have before. It's nourishing your body in a way that other things may or may not, but there's something Mm. in that participation that's special. Oh, that's different than other things. I got it. I got it. Okay. Uh, Allow me to play some, like do some wordplay here because do it. um, My brain just like felt like it like rose into another plane for a second. That was so wild. (laughs) Wow. Okay, hold on, hold on. So, what you got me thinking, Emily, is that we are we are embodying something, and maybe it's not necessarily like mystically or magically. The priest in blessing the elements, like it's actually becoming like human flesh and blood. This was a common critique of early Christians, like we were called cannibals for a while because yes, uh, <laughs> p- pagan people did not understand what we were trying to claim. But so, playing with the word remember. There, there's an element of it that's mental, like cast your mind into the past and remember that. But if it's re-member, like we're putting together a body again, like putting the Ayo. members of a body together. <laughs> Listen, and Josh. So maybe the magical or the mystical thing in like even a theology of transubstantiation is when the body or when the bread and the juice enter Stephen Henning's stomach like it's actually being transformed into energy that nourishes Stephen's body to continue to like operate throughout that day so like in a very almost literal way that bread and the juice representing the body and blood of Christ is being remembered into like the body of Christ and that's the other angle of we're all pulling pieces off the same loaf and dipping it in the same cup is like we're all coming to a common source and now the body of Christ is being remembered in the actual congregation that we call the body of Christ, like collecting there at the church. Like Richard Rohr even talks about in, uh, yeah, check that off on your, <laughs> on your Ravel bingo card. Stephen <laughs> mentioned Richard Rohr. But, uh, <laughs> we need to start that. <laughs> I think that would be so fun. If someone wants to make a bingo card, please tag us in it. <laughs> that would be so good. That, oh, that would be so good. We could offer prizes and stuff. 
sorry. Okay. So Richard Rohr talks about how the word religion, like taken back to its Latin is religio or like to re-ligament again, like stitching together a body through sacramental and like sacramental rituals that sometimes are mundane, sometimes are very normal. But like if, if my body was to be remembered, it's not like every time my pinky finger is going to be like super jazzed about being a pinky finger. So it's not like you have to like go to church, partake in Eucharist and be like, Oh my gosh, I experienced something. It's like, yeah, I just reminded myself that I'm part of a body here and that's the congregation. And that's like what we remind ourselves every time we take Eucharist together. And if it's an open table, it allows everyone to see like, we're all like stitching together this world of people who look differently, who think differently, who act differently, but Christ is like calling us all into the body so that he can like reign as the head of that body. Wow. That was a lot. That was a lot there, but I'm so psyched on that. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I don't even know what to say. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to tell us about it would be on Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a five-star rating and a review, which helps others find the show. If you'd like to leave us a longer message, our email address is theravelpod at gmail.com. If you find this conversation valuable, please tell a friend about the show in person, with a text, or by sharing about the show on social media. You can join us on Instagram and Twitter at RavelPod. Thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color off his album, Here. Find his work on Spotify and Bandcamp. And remember to subscribe to Ravel so that you never miss a new episode. Thanks for listening. Well, now we can pivot. Emily, I'm ready to talk about what the Methodist Church actually recognizes as sacraments, because you were surprised by the seven that I just learned about in Catholicism. Yes. Um, So we only recognize two, Eucharist and baptism. The anointing of the sick, holy matrimony, funerals, confirmation, things like that, we consider to be very viable and important, but they are not considered to be sacraments because, kind of as I mentioned before, they're not really, they're, they're sacramental, but they're not seen as channels of grace mm. visibly recognized. Um, Is it just because people can't virtually universally do them together? Uh, that's a hard question because the United Methodist Church is a global church. And so that's a contextual question. Right. But I mean, like going back to like kind of what we were talking about with how marriage maybe marriage can be considered can be considered a little bit less of a universal experience uh, even if it's like socially reinforcing like kind of like what you were talking about Stephen with like it it does draw communities together but maybe like it's a little bit less of a universal communal experience versus like something like baptism and communion is often public in a group very visible uh mm-hmm. very repetitive depending on like how you do it do any of those reasons like factor into why the Methodist church kind of strayed away from like Catholic sacrament views? I would say, yeah, probably there's probably more to it than that. But off the top of my head, I would say that makes the most sense to me as a Methodist. (laughs) So this brings me back to also, how should we talk about things that we feel like embody the, maybe the spirit quote unquote behind what a sacrament is like pointing out like mysterious things that somehow point us back to God and enrich our experience of God. Mm -hmm. How should we talk about those things then if a, they're maybe not widely recognized as sacraments or B maybe they're not universal things, but they're really great for us. You can, I would say you can still call them sacramental. Sure. Because it's, it's still divine. It's still sacred, but sacraments just have a different label to it, if that makes sense. So Mm. I guess just knowing that the verbiage is different, but you're still holding on to the sacred. You're not changing that in any way. Hmm. What do you feel like is the main purpose behind things that are sacraments or sacramental? I'm curious to hear from both of you. 
I like this language Emily gave us for like channels of grace of how, how grace can like break into your life through some of these seemingly mundane or seemingly ritual or even boring sometimes the way that it invites grace to like break into your life and remember that like grace requires nothing of you. It's all been handled in the way that the new covenant um, has been established through Christ. Mm. So like when, when we point back to the sacred things, all that's doing is like, is reminding us that we like really our only mode of uh, participation is response. Like we we didn't have to work Mm. ourselves to get here. I liked how somehow we've highlighted, we haven't really talked about it directly, but we've like highlighted the essence of participation in a sacrament and that like it's pretty much impossible to do one of these things or experience something sacramentally passively, I would argue. Like even if you like feel like going hiking or experiencing nature is somehow like sacramental to you, like you experience God and your relationship with God in those spots like you can't really do that passively i don't think even though it's certainly an experience like i feel like a prerequisite for something being sacramental might be participation participation and also i'm thinking about how the sacraments i'm familiar with are all um like before witnesses like if we were going to call marriage a sacrament uh like there's even even like a secularly or like a legally recognized marriage requires at least one witness right or well, uh, I would push back against that. I don't think uh, witnesses are a prereq because like, look at the baptism of uh, the, what's his name? Where Philip baptizes, oh, the eunuch. I almost said the Eucharist and I was like, that's wrong. The, the, <laughs> where Philip baptizes the eunuch, like it's just mm. them. Okay. But So like, I don't think we should reduce it to, I'm not saying you're trying to do that, but I don't think we should reduce it to like there has to be witnesses and it has to happen in group context. Yeah, maybe. I think I think some of the beauty comes what wouldn't would you not consider Philip a witness of another man's baptism in that moment? Mm. Uh I guess, but I mean, I guess for me that I guess maybe what I'm getting at is like I think you have to participate with another individual whether or not that individual or person is God. Philip oh. and the eunuch were certainly participating together. And like, in some ways there's like a, there's like a specialness. I'm sure Emily, you feel this a little bit. There's probably a specialness when you like administer or like give mm, a sacrament mm-hmm. to someone else. Right. Like I've never oh, really been on that side of things. I'm yeah. sure that's pretty special. I think that's what she meant by like, she doesn't charge for sacraments, like performing a marriage because she's, she's being, wait, you don't even view marriage as a sacrament. I didn't even put that together. <laughs> I don't, but I still don't charge them as. She okay. So she, to to correct to fact check, it's she doesn't charge for sacramentals. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. There you go. There you go. So do you feel, do you do you see where I'm like tracking with the whole participation like with another sure. yeah. person thing? Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like that's maybe yes, maybe the prereq I'm looking for. I don't even think it's necessarily participation with other people. I think it's just you participating mm. and not just yeah, mindlessly entering the and flow. trying to encounter God. Yeah, because there have been times where I've had communion and yeah, there are other people who were also participating, but I was experiencing something that others were not like that's we were encountering mm. God in very unique ways, even though we were all participating in the same activity. And I think that's where the beauty of it unfolds, because that is how God is now interacting with us individually. Here's mm. the simple act that's universal, yet can be transformative in very unique ways for each individual person participating. I think it's, I think for me, what it just comes down to, it's this outwardly observable act that either an individual or a collective can participate in that is an inward reminder of God's grace. So would you say that prayer is sacramental? Yes. Because you're like trying to encounter God. Yeah, but hmm. it's not a sacrament. It's sacramental. It's sacred, but in a in a way what? that's different from a sacrament. Okay. What isn't sacramental then? Yeah, let's get that. Because it sounds like everything is now. (laughs) Well, it sounds like everything is now. Why? Why is that a problem? Why couldn't everything be sacred? 
Well, <laughs> I guess this kind of gets at for me, like the way in which language breaks down. Like as soon as you like try to label something as like set apart or different, like you get into like all of this like hyper exclusionary language about like what it is and what it isn't. And then even like beyond that, you get into this problem where you're like, well, there's like sacraments and then there's things that are like kind of like sacraments. And then like pretty soon you're just like talking about everything. And but again, yeah. I feel like just no, I agree. But like, I feel like just because like just in the very act of like trying to label some things, it almost inevitably includes everything in a way. And yeah, but also I don't think there's a problem with that because I don't see everything as there are things that are sacred, but then there are things that I participate in that are not right. That what, are just wait. What do you mean? Hum- so like, so prayer, I consider to be sacramental. I consider meditation. I consider, I don't even, I'm trying to, there's one other. Like spiritual of, oriented practices kind of thing. There's, there's something that is sacred within that. Like when I'm in nature, when I am out in nature, there's something sacred about that. I don't see activities where like I'm going to the store or just if they're everyday activities where I'm not in a space of seeing the mystery of the sacredness, then I don't consider it to be sacramental. So I would agree. Like, I think that's an interesting uh, comparison uh, where like going to the store in some ways is ritualistic because like, we all do it, but it's not we happening it. in this like spiritual religious context. But I think mm-hmm. for me, the part of me that like sees the potential for something being sacramental is the like breaking through the barrier of like mundaneness and going through the motions and allowing yourself to like step into a new form of participation. Like for instance, going to the store, mm. to me, it feels like sort of sacred when I like make an extra effort to talk to the grocery store clerk. And, like, actually try to encounter them as a human being. Like, to me, that feels, like, markedly different. And I don't really know exactly how to put language around it. And, like, that's what makes me want to call it sacramental or special. But, like, to me, that also points to the, by labeling the sacred, you almost, like, in, almost always include everything by it. Yeah, by it sounds like we're describing a state of mind over, over I don't know, like. Like the physical function. Yeah, exactly. It it almost sounds like you guys are just describing what has been called mindfulness. Like you're present in the moment and you're engaging with the world and reality as it's presenting itself to you. And you're just, you're here for it. You're here for the ride. Well, yeah. And I guess that would make sense because you're not deeming it as sacred. That I think is something that's important to distinguish is right. you don't get to consider something like it's sacred because God deemed it so. Mm. And so okay. I think, uh, but I don't like that argument. Like, well, I don't, you don't have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, but okay. No, hear me out though. Because like, if, if we're going to believe that God is everywhere and if everyone is made in God's image, then like, we can't deny lots of things being sacred. And it, to me, it still feels weird to put like, like non-human entities and acts like on this like special pedestal where we're like this is sacred you are not that's what to i mean me, like, that's what the implication we is. don't we don't get to determine that so like what's sacred for you may not be considered sacred for me but i'm not telling you what yours is is not sacred like hmm. that's hmm. where the beauty of it can that that's where this like unique transformation takes place is because because you call something sacred does not mean I have to call it sacred, but that doesn't diminish the meaning of sacred for you. Right. And that's because of your unique relationship with the sacred, just like my relationship with the sacred is different than yours. But that's, I think that's where mm. sacraments are different because they have been deemed universally. It's a little bit more objective. Yes. Whereas the more subjective, that's that's a tougher field to play in. So hmm. you're right. You may not like it, but that's because that's your understanding of sacred. But there's nothing wrong with that. There, there's no one that has ever said there's nothing wrong with that. And that's where our bond with God is so important because God is helping you to determine for yourself Hmm. to help you what is sacred, what is going to be life-giving for you. Like I had said before with theology in general, 
what's life-giving for you may not be life-giving for me, but I can't tell you it's bad theology because I can't deem that. I'm not God self. Mm. Like, <laughs> I'm just me. And we're walking a different journey. We're just happen. We happen to be walking it together. And so while we have these different understandings, I mm. cannot say what is going to be sacred for you because you're on a different journey with God, whereas I'm on a different journey with God. And how I see things as sacred, as life-giving, whatever, are going to be different. But there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there has to be. I guess to, to be... me that is the beauty of what most people would consider sacraments. Is that like yeah. they're like these long-held traditions that appeal to what early Christians did and like are pretty much based off of what we see in the text and like trying to establish semi-universal rituals mm -hmm. that we can do in our spiritual journey. And that like mm -hmm. lots of Christians throughout history have done. And so like on that level, I can really appreciate the simplicity and the beauty of like having a few select things that point us yeah. back to faith. Yeah, I I get that. But I'm still kind <laughs> of annoyed at it sometimes, honestly. Yeah. So like And that's okay. I've done my fair share of arguing what Emily just argued, but now I'm hearing I'm hearing something in here where it's like if if everything is important then like nothing is like if it's all right. like elevated to the same level and maybe I'm just like, maybe I just did not comprehend what Emily just laid out for us. But <laughs> like, if everything is important then nothing is, if everything is sacred, then what really is. And maybe, and maybe when we get to like baptism and Eucharist, we call those actual sacraments. And then we get to establish almost like a hierarchy of sacredness. But yeah, I guess th that's... Although maybe I'm strawmanning there because I honestly don't think that many people truly think that like these things are more sacred than human beings. Like they're, I don't think that they're actually putting them sure. on a pedestal. So I, I retract that. <laughs> like, I think that we can hold that something is like beautiful and important and yes. sacred without saying it's like more important than anything else. Because if right. anything, yeah. what a what a sacrament successfully does is cause you to celebrate the person engaging in it and not necessarily the act itself. Like you, we celebrate the fact mm. that Josh was baptized. We don't celebrate the baptism yeah. itself, you know, right. like we celebrate Eucharist because we get to watch, like I get to watch Emily pull a piece of bread off the same loaf. I just pulled a piece of bread off of, and it's like, Oh, whoa, we're connected in a way. And like, it points you to the people again and not necessarily mm. like we're here to just engage in this thing because this is what, the divine like has established for us. It does mm -hmm. like always point us back to the people. I think that's a great way to nail that down, Josh. Yeah. Here's a question. I like that. Why don't Catholics see birth as a sacrament? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. I don't have an answer for you. Or does anyone <laughs> view birth as a sacrament? Maybe someone does. Like maybe someone's already talked do about we? this. Yeah. Do you? I, well, I don't know, but like I was thinking about, like if we're going to talk about like the sacredness of humanity and if you're going to consider matrimony or you're going to consider like the anointing of the sick or did you say that funerals were considered a sacrament in Catholic theology? Were we just talking about funerals? Emily brought up funerals, but it's not on the official list. Well, so oh, like, okay. I think but like if you're going to consider like human life and like bear, like bearing the image of God is like part of being sacred and what it means to like encounter god then like why wouldn't birth be considered a sacrament like what is the difference there i don't think calling it a sacrament is it almost happens within marriage already so it might be already covered under that mm. umbrella because like catholics are pretty famously anti-contraception and very like right exactly life at, life at conception pro pro-life right. like all of that that's and well, well and american evangelicals are kind of the same way in that they really try to uphold like the importance of marriage and having kids and stuff like that. Like well, there's definitely so a culture around it. True. There is, um, there's a tradition in, I think it's the Anglican church. I could be wrong. I'll have to fact check myself. Um, but there's a tradition called churching of women. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. No, no. it's the ceremony where there's a blessing given to mothers after recovery from childbirth. So hmm. it's different than a baptism. Okay. It's the ceremony includes like Thanksgiving for the woman's survival of the childbirth. And hmm. it's performed. It can even be performed when a child is like stillborn or has died unbaptized. Hmm. 
Mm. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, so Catholics do celebrate baptism as an infant moment and not necessarily like at the, that's, that's why they distinguish between the, the baptism at infancy and the confirmation as like a free will individual choosing the identity of Catholic and entering into the fold. And that's when they celebrate their first communion, right? Like that's the, that's the initiation essentially. But I, I almost wonder, Josh, like back to your main question, if, if they consider birth sacramental by performing infant baptism. Yeah, I suppose so. I guess if I was going to answer my own question, I think (laughs) that nobody considers birth a sacrament not because they don't think life is sacred, but because it is not religious in nature. Like nobody sure. gives birth in a religious setting. Even if you're like in a religious context as a person and you're like, you plan on your child going through infant baptism and hopefully confirmation someday. And like they have their own Catholic kids or non-Catholic kids. And mm-hmm. uh, like to me on like the social psychology level, it does not happen in religion. Sure. And those other parts that like people consider sacraments, those do happen as a part of religion. Even if your religious denomination like tells you you should do one thing or like you should have a certain stance, like that in itself does not make it a part of religion. Mm, yeah. But those rituals sure. and those sacraments are like a part, like, a, like I, I liked how you said channel, and I'm going to say conduit or tool. Like those mm-hmm. are like the mm-hmm. tools of religion to like draw the people of it together. Yeah. And I don't think birth nice. does. So I think that that's why people would not consider it a sacrament. That's good. That's always a good strategy is ask a question and then think about it long enough to answer <laughs> it's it. It's my preferred method of arguing things. <laughs> I like it. Um, what We're kind of late in the game here, but what's like controversial about sacraments? We already kind of know that like Catholics and Protestants have like decided on different things being sacramental, but like what other things are controversial? I wonder if we already covered most of that just in the in the open table and like exclusionary. Well, that was one, but another one I thought of was, um, and actually it just made me think of serving as a chaplain, um, babies who were either stillborn or Mm. women who had to abort their pregnancy for whatever reason, I had to perform blessings and Mm. they would, sometimes parents would ask for like baptismal cards to be filled out and things like that. So I, that's definitely something controversial because there are some, there are some faiths or denominations that would say the child wasn't born. So therefore like they, they didn't get to live into baptism or redemption. And so like, are they really going to heaven or anything like that? That's definitely an argument I heard in the hospital. Um, that's kind of similar to like the Mormonism baptism for the dead. Correct. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 And I've performed many a blessings for stillborns and women who were getting ready for medical abortions many, Mm. many a times during my chaplaincy. Uh, and honestly, I found them to be very moving experiences. They, they were solemn, of course, Hmm. but there was also this joy that was, somehow interwoven and it's really hard to explain um but i would consider those to be sacred and Mm. Mm. they were beautiful at the same time but there would be some congregations that would very much frown upon what i did and yeah would you know boot me if they could (laughs) wow that's interesting i never would have even thought about that yep do you feel like any of the sacraments whichever ones you hold to um, do you feel like any of the sacraments specifically are more likely to fall apart in someone's mind or like when, like maybe they're easier to like call into question and, or people have like dramatic misunderstandings of, or. Oh, communion. Yeah. How so? And I, and I think like Stephen had kind of touched on it earlier where early Christians were ridiculed for being cannibals. Mm. I think some people take the take a literal stance of what communion is and they can get very confused or mm. they they read into the symbolism and they go down a rabbit hole that's like unnecessary or you know diverts too much from what the symbolism actually holds on to that was the first one that popped in my head for me i think even though i don't think there's really any protestants that consider anointing of the sick to be a sacrament and i'm i really don't know much more about it being a sacrament, but there's so many circles of 
American Christianity that regularly practice and advocate for um, like the praying for and the healing of like the sick and dying. And I can, like I have experienced praying for people and like believing that it will happen. And I've also experienced like praying for people and at the time believing that it happened, like that believing that I saw something happen in front of me. And I can Mm -hmm. see people after the fact, like experiencing that and then that just like falling apart in their mind and like questioning everything they know. Like it's a very, for me, it was a very existential experience after the fact. Like it's really Mm -hmm. easy to self doubt in that one specifically, I think. Mm -hmm. Not to say that like it can't happen, but I could see that one's really sending someone down a spiral. Emily, what else do we need to know about sacraments? Like I'm kind of a noob here. Like I feel like I never really heard people talk about sacraments growing up, like with that language. So I really enjoyed this discussion, and oh, good. I don't know what else. Like, what else should I know? What else should I read about? Can I recommend a book? Can I recommend a yes, book? Yes, go ahead. Yeah. So they're going to be two that I just recently read, and they are by a a Catholic theologian. He has a fantastic book called um, "Rome Sweet Home" that I read first, and it was his essentially his conversion from being a Presbyterian to Mm. Catholicism. But the, the two books I recently just finished of his that I really liked is one called signs of life and it's 20 Catholic customs and their biblical roots. And he talks a lot about sacraments in there. The book he's most famous for though, that I also just recently finished is called the lamb's supper. And yes, that's a good book. Oh my gosh. He, he goes through and demonstrates how, the celebration of mass every weekend is actually embodying and fulfilling the, uh, the apocalypse in revelation and how like every bit of the mass is meant to like walk us through revelation into the new heavens and the new earth. It's Mm. so wildly cool. I very much enjoyed it. Well, and there's one by the same author it's consuming the word Mm-hmm. That's also a very good book that illuminates on the sacrament of Eucharist. If you are interested in that, hmm. if uh, anyone reads wants to uh, know any more about like sociology of religion, uh, definitely start with Emil Durkheim. I haven't read a ton of Durkheim. He has a lot of books. Very prolific thinker, but his his work on ritual and religious structure is definitely a great place to start in understanding like how sacraments might tie into like the cohesion of a religious body Mm, nice super interesting yeah i if i could be uh self-promotional here for a second (gasps) probably fine a year or two ago i decided i would try like writing in public so i started my own little blog and i actually had a three-part uh thing just me thinking out loud about eucharist i honestly couldn't tell you what i wrote about and I might disagree with myself now, like two years <laughs> later, but I'm going to put a link in the show notes anyway, because I <laughs> cool. we'll just put it out there. Yeah, I want to read that. I haven't read it. I had an assignment in seminary where I had to write my own Eucharist liturgy, um, and I Ooh. will be willing to share that in the show notes as well. That would be so cool. What? Yes, please. Do you like get to do that? Oh, yeah. Is that a, th- is that a thing? That's a thing. Like, I've written like communion introductions before but like that's a a very different setting than uh like it being part of a written liturgy Mm. oh it's definitely a thing cool definitely okay (laughs) sweet yeah don't trip fam good if you're interested in joining these kind of conversations with us we have a patreon active now it's patreon.com slash ravel pod just like our instagram and twitter handles it's the exact same and uh, yeah, you could hop into a Discord server. You could have all sorts of private conversations like this one. You could come tell us how wrong we are in our episode discussion channel on Discord. Yes. Um, and just join the conversation. Tell us what you think is sacred. Tell us what you think is is worth paying attention to when it comes to these these beautiful rituals that we find ourselves practicing. Do it. We dare you. Do it. <laughs> well, there it is. Well, Emily, since uh, you're the expert here um, and really the only... Uh, actually ordained human on this show. Um, will you <laughs> indulge us with a, uh, a sacramental blessing on the way out? <gasps> yes. 
as us gathered virtually yet spiritually know that these sacraments, these sacred mysteries that we participate in, nourish and guide us on our spiritual endeavors and know that God is present in these acts of participation, these outward symbols of inward grace. 